Welcome to the Calvary Couples Podcast. This is Pastor Josh, and we are going to be taking a little bit of time here over the next few weeks to study through a good portion of the book of Romans. Um, We did a little bit of a study earlier, a couple months ago, uh, looking at the first uh, five chapters or so, really talking about salvation, what it is, how it functions, some of the different terminology of salvation and why they're significant. And from this point, we're going to look more into, now that we're saved, how do we live out the Christian life and who are we? In Christ. Uh, it's, Book of Romans is fascinating. Um, it's probably, obviously, it was written to the Christians in Rome. Uh, some scholars think around AD 57 or so, so about um, 20, 25 years after the crucifixion of Christ. Um, and it's possible that it was uh, written from Corinth, obviously by the Apostle Paul, and that um, uh, probably around his third missionary journey, so kind of later in Paul's uh, um, Paul's uh, mission work. Uh, so he clearly has a very well-developed uh, understanding of the gospel, and he communicates it very clearly all through the book of Romans. I think every Christian uh, should take time to read through the entirety, just beginning to end, of the entire letter to the Romans and see how salvation just connects from who we are as sinners and who the world is at the beginning all the way through salvation and then living out the Christian life. Um, In Romans 5, uh, to reflect back a little bit, Paul wrote about the fact that God's grace abounded even more abundantly than sin, which is a really powerful thought. And to some of his critics, this particular idea sounds pretty dangerous because the response could be something like this, well, then maybe we should sin all the more to make sure that God's grace keeps abounding. Which sounds ridiculous, but it is something that I believe Christians and the church has struggled with for 2,000 years is this balance of, well, I'm free in Christ, so can I just do whatever I want to? And Paul gives a pretty strong response. He responds emphatically to this very faulty thinking in Romans chapter 6. So we're going to dive into it to learn a little bit about why shouldn't we just keep sinning if we have freedom in Christ? The first is this. He says, believers are dead to sin and alive to God. So we'll look at the first 11 verses here in Romans 6. And verse 1 contains the objection that critics <coughs> excuse me, or unbelievers might raise. Why shouldn't we just continue in sin in order to cause God's grace to abound even more? And verse 2 answers forcefully. This is a very forceful expression in the, in the um, Aramaic and Greek uh, terms that Paul uses. In fact, he uses an Aramaic term, meaning God forbid or no says, may that never be the case. Those who have died to sin can no longer live in it. And verse 3 begins to explain what it means to die to sin. The baptism, and, and Paul uses baptism as a powerful illustration of, of this death to sin. The baptism into Christ refers to our union with Christ at conversion. And his death for sin brings about our death to sin. So we speak often of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you've ever participated in a baptism service, you'll, you'll see those terms referenced. Believers are united with Jesus in faith and know a spiritual parallel in their own lives. So through union with Christ, now we are dead to sin, buried by baptism, and most importantly, we are raised to a new way of living. And that's what Paul references in verse 4. He says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So Paul continues, making it plain that the union with Jesus' death for sin means a union with a resurrected life. It is as though our old sinful self died on the cross, and now we can escape sin's reign. Sin always gets its payment, and that payment is death. But once that payment has been made in full, it has no more claim, not on Christ and not on us. That's why the resurrection of Christ is so significant. We may feel it's pull and do battle with it. So this isn't to say that as once we trust Christ and are saved, 
and we're walking in this newness of life that suddenly we'll have no struggles with sin anymore. That's not the case. That's not the case. But what is what is significant is that sin has no more legitimate claim on us now that we are united with Christ. We are raised to live a new life, and we owe nothing at all to sin. As Christ was raised, so are we. And that's very powerfully expounded in verses 5 through 8. So Jesus died for sin, ours, not his. Sin has nothing to say to him, nor will it ever exercise a hold on him. And Jesus underwent the worst that sin could, could um, inflict and came through it in glorious life. Even so, we must consider ourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. We must let that reality guide how we think and how we act. We think and live as if we want nothing to do with sin. We now live to know, walk with, and serve God, who has forgiven us, placed us in Christ, and given us new life. <clears throat> I think this is significant, is that we no longer answer to our old boss, and that old boss is Satan and the power of sin. Because he has no legitimate claim on us, he doesn't have any legitimate claim on our actions, our feelings, our desires, or our thinking. It's God's grace and forgiveness that have changed everything. So because of that, now we are free to live as forgiven people, and our union with Christ means we have died to the power of sin and can now live to please God. Before we, had, before we were believers, before we had our union with Christ and placed our faith in Him, regardless of what great moral things we may have done in our own strength and power, the Bible says that our righteousnesses in God's eyes were as filthy rags. So now it is possible for us to serve God. And I think this is an important thing to say, and that is that the Christian life after salvation doesn't mean that freedom from sin will be easy. It just means that it is possible. And it's a very important thing to hang on to because sometimes Christians beat themselves up saying, why can't I gain victory over this thing? I want to gain victory over this. I, I, God helping me, I'm going to experience power and freedom from this particular sin. Well, you are still striving to gain victory from this particular sin. It doesn't mean that you aren't free from sin. You aren't free from the power of sin. That sin has no legitimate claim on you because the worst sin can do to you is physical death. Ultimately, you and I have eternal life. So now in this life, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God, because of the working in, in, of, of His working in our lives, the freedom from sin is now possible where before it wasn't possible. It's as though you are living in a prison and before Christ the door was shut and you couldn't get out. Now you have freedom in Christ and the door has opened. Now you have to make the decision to walk out. You can decide to stay there in your comfort zone and the things that you know and choose to live your old way, but you don't have to. The possibility is there for you and I to walk out of that in the power of Christ and experience freedom and victory. The chains are no longer on us. They're broken. So, Practically living that out on a daily basis is to think and act like you are dead to sin and alive to God. That those things that we say, well, that's just the way I am. No, 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 not anymore. That is not just the way you are. You don't have to be that way anymore because you have the power of God in freedom from sin and the Holy Spirit living through you. So what does it mean to be dead to sin and alive to God? It means that we don't want anything to do with sin and we want to live for God, obeying and serving Him. And secondly, how does our union and identification with Christ affect our relationship with, with, with sin? Sin no longer rules us, and we can think of ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God. We can choose to say no to temptation and yes to what God wants for us. So we're going to dig into the next few verses here, um, now that we've established who we are positionally in Christ, and now believers are to present themselves to God as instruments of righteousness. All right, we're continuing on here in Romans 6. We're going to be in verses 12 through 14. And Paul says this, Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. 
Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For all, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. So believers are no longer to let sin rule or reign over us. Speaking of the body and its passion makes it clear that sinful behavior is Paul's target in these verses. He wants to take our attitudes and and fundamentally change our actions. How are we going to use the physical body to serve God? The Bible does not teach that living for God occurs only in the mind or soul that doesn't affect the body. Salvation affects every part of our existence and most definitely includes what we do in the physical world. So we must not allow our bodies to become tools of unrighteousness. Instead, we are to use our bodies as tools that God can use for righteousness. This is only fitting for sin is no longer the boss. Being under the law, even God's excellent law given to Moses, ensured that we would fall short and that we would be delivered to death. Now, however, we are under the law and rule of grace. God took care of the penalty we incurred and raised us from spiritual death to live for Him. Now we have grace in all of its glory. You know, digging a little bit deeper here, just kind of how the human mind thinks. You know, the human beings, we love to think of ourselves as the masters of our own domain. And we want to conquer disease and distance, how we travel, and even time itself in various ways. And we believe that we get to define what is right and wrong. We look upon uh, service <clears throat> to another master as something unworthy, something that only the weak would, would accept. But I think when we take a step back, the truth is that humanity always serves a master. And through our fall into sin, we are by default the servants of a harsh taskmaster, and that taskmaster is Satan. And through salvation in Christ, we become servants of a good and kind master, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we cannot, ex- we cannot escape having a master. And at the same time, we cannot serve two masters. Uh, Matthew 6.24, Jesus makes this quite clear. We will serve God or Satan, but we can never serve neither, and we can never serve both. Some may, may object that by saying all this, we are saying that those who do not worship God worship Satan. And it's clear that most people are not, you know, straight up Satan worshipers. However, a closer look at the scripture shows that this is not what we claim. On the contrary, it speaks of service, not worship. The cruel despotism of sin and, and Satan is such that many must serve him whom they do not worship. So just take this away, that we're always going to serve somebody. We are never the masters of our own domain. And who we choose to serve is going to have a significant effect on our lives, not only here in this world, but in the world to come. So, surrender to God is something that we must do daily, just as we eat or sleep. If we do not surrender to God, we will end up surrendering to the pull of sin and temptation. Surrender to God leads to joy and peace, while surrender to sin and temptation leads to bondage and despair. Now that we are free from the power of sin, we can choose each day to follow God's will and direction for our lives. And we can choose to live in a way that brings Him glory and us joy, rather than giving into sin and temptation. So the encouragement is to present yourself to God daily as instruments of righteousness, to do His will, what is good and what is right. And by doing that, we can worship God, we can learn God's word, we can pray, we can share the gospel with others and use our gifts and abilities to serve and to love those around us. So we're going to come back in just a moment and look at the final section here, verses 15 through 23, that believers are free to serve God rather than sin. All right, we're into the final section here, verses 15 through 23 here in Romans chapter 6. In verse 15, Paul repeats the objection of verse 1. It's, it's almost an exact um, restatement of it. 
and he rejects it again. Then he began to explain from a, a different angle. He talks about slavery and obedience. And he uses this term slaves to um, the one that we obey. Employees are subject to their employers, not someone else's. Dogs obey their masters, not their strangers. Believers are now subject to their good and kind master, not the old slave driver that we read about in verse 16. And as we were once slaves of sin and Satan, the gospel teaches of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and it frees us from that former life and sets us free to live a new one as God's servants. So what Paul's trying to do here is he's trying to find some way to describe this miracle of grace in a way that the Romans and us today can understand. So as we summarize it, just as they once gave themselves over to impurity and rebellion against God's law, they now were to present themselves as slaves of righteousness. The lawlessness of sin always gave way to even more lawlessness. But on the other hand, obeying and practicing righteousness leads to sanctification. We read about in verse 19, he says, I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity, uh, unto iniquity, even now, so yield your members' servants to righteousness. And that what's the outcome of that? Unto holiness. Paul then spoke frankly to the Roman believers. He says, when you were slaves to sin, how much regard did you give to righteousness? None. You didn't care. No, you gave yourselves fully to unrighteousness. Your march toward death involves sinful behavior that you are now ashamed of. When you think back on your sinful behavior, you're ashamed of that. You wholeheartedly gave yourself over to that which would destroy you. Now, however, having known God's grace, you should be just as eager to practice righteousness for him. You should just as wholeheartedly follow the path that will lead to sanctification and eternal life. So we must understand that we are not some kind of independent, autonomous creatures that answer only to ourselves. Everyone needs to learn submission to authority. And people who reject the authority of parents, governments, teachers, spouses, or other authority in general will usually find it very difficult to submit to the authority of God they are most likely to remain in bondage to Satan. The only people who are not slaves to sin are those who are slaves to righteousness. And sin pays what is deserved, and that is death. That will always be the wage of sin. But God's gift of grace bestows upon us that which we do not deserve, eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I feel it fitting to close with the final verse in verse 23 of this passage, that for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I encourage you, if you don't know Christ as Savior, if you haven't put your faith in Him, if you haven't come in repentance and asked Christ to save you on the record of His death, burial, and resurrection, I encourage you to do that today. Because the outcome of sin's wages is death, but God's gift is a free gift, and that free gift brings with it eternal life. So I hope that this lesson was helpful for you to realize that you and I are free from sin. Those who put their faith in Christ were free from sin, and we are now free to serve God. And that doesn't mean that freedom from sin will be easy. But what it means for us is that it is possible. Realize that as a Christian, that prison that you've confined yourself in, that door is wide open. And those chains that once held you are broken. And you can choose on a daily basis to walk out in the power of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I hope that you'll continue to study with us as we walk through the book of Romans. Thank you for joining us here in the Calvary Couples podcast. And I look forward to studying with you next time.